Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it, and one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. If you're a fan of Broadway, then you are going to love today's guest. We're joined by actress and singer Barrett Wilbert Weed. Barrett is notably known for playing the role of Janice Sarkeesian in the Broadway hit musical Mean Girls, and for originating the role of Veronica Sawyer in the off-Broadway production of Heather's The Musical. Not only are we going to discuss the significance of these roles and her experiences taking part in each of these productions, but we'll also dive into how the pandemic has affected Barrett's career and the Broadway community in general. And we'll also chat about the projects she's currently working on as well. We have a lot to talk about, so you know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Well, all right. Barrett Wilbertweed. Thank you so much for coming on to share your story and coming on to chat. For sure. It's so nice to meet you. This is, this is so funny that we can do this like from far away now. Zoom. Yeah. Zoom has been, I guess, the biggest blessing to come out of. I mean, we've had Skype and and FaceTime, but I think with the pandemic doing everything virtually, it's been super nice to still connect with people in this way. Yeah, it's a really good tool. And I think it's allowing people to be super creative. And also it's like giving people this strange access. Like I'd never used Zoom prior to the pandemic. And I think at first we were all kind of like, oh, it's giving me a headache. But if you're not, if you're not like a nine to fiver and using it every day, it's like, oh, I can like just hit this link. And then I'm like in an interview with a person or I'm in a meeting or I'm Right. You know, having a having a coffee with a friend. Also, even like Microsoft Teams. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Even like Microsoft Teams and all of that, being able to like share your screen and and work with people just virtually through our own homes. It's crazy. But yeah, so this is really exciting because, as I mentioned to you before, this (laughs) is the first time we're having somebody from the Broadway community on the podcast. And I love theater. I love Broadway. I'm so excited for this. And, um, you know, for anyone who may not know, you've acted in a wide variety of productions. You are (laughs) most notably known for originating the role of Veronica Sawyer in the off-Broadway production of Heathers. And your most recent role was Janice Sarkeesian in Mean Girls the Musical. And we'll definitely be talking about those. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I guess first off, we can go back to the beginning. Um, you're from Massachusetts, you said. So how mm-hmm. did you get involved and interested in acting and performing? Good question. Um, I'm like, I'm like doing a time warp in my mind. Like remember when I was a little baby? Um, yeah, I think my, uh, it, it's weird that this is how it, it started, but it is, uh, it is the impetus for a lot of things in my life. My, my dad, um, got sick when I was about five and he ended up passing away from cancer when I was seven. Mm-hmm. So I think my mom honestly 
uh, after school was kind of like, okay, I need, like, I have a small child and I need something for her to do with her friends. That's like a positive community, um, outlet that will also keep her occupied for sure. uh, a few hours after school. Cause I also, I was just remembering this other day too. Like when you're that little, you're not like in school for the whole day. Like you yeah. don't really start going to school for the whole day until you're in like first grade or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I went to a really adorable little elementary school. So I, I also had a pre-kindergarten and kindergarten um, and that is like, you literally, it's like an eye blink and the kid is back in the house. So I think my mom was like, all right, uh, yeah, my husband is sick and I need time for myself and, uh, I'm going to find something for this little kid to do, uh, after, after school. So she put me in, um, this, <laughs> this children's opera group, uh, that actually that. a lot of my friends were doing. It was like our... This like highbrow children's community theater um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, and we, yeah, we were all doing it. It started out as something that we did as like a day camp during the summer, and then it uh, became an after school during the year thing. But I was with I was with the Boston Children's Opera from about. I remember I couldn't read when I started doing it, so my mom my mom had to read all my lines um and I learned I learned all my songs from a recording that like the head of the program would would make um for each kid you'd get literally like remember those gray cassette tapes you'd get like a little cassette (laughs) tape with your name on it and the roll next to it (laughs) and you'd put it in your little tape deck and like walk around the house with your headphones on that's how you learn your music that's still how I learned my music like I don't I don't uh sight read Mm-hmm. very well I just it's it's way easier for everyone involved who's like trying to teach me music if they just make me a recording and let me do it by myself <laughs> um uh but yeah so yeah I was yeah yeah I couldn't I remember I was so young that I couldn't read so my mom had to help me uh learn my lines um before bed every night and yeah so I think I was five when I started and I was with that group until I think I was 11 or maybe even 12. Um, but yeah, I had, I had my first boyfriend at Boston children's opera. Shout out to Adam. Um, and, (laughs) uh, yeah, it was my first on again, off again relationship starting at like 10 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a huge part of my life. And, uh, and it was a very regular part of my life. And I think, um, you know, I, over the course of a, of a kind of tumultuous, um, childhood that was you know performing and singing and learning lines and acting and having rehearsal um a few times a week uh was like the that was the most regular normal thing in my life Mm -hmm. and uh and my mom told me this recently which I was like that's so sweet like I I there's this thing that happens I don't know if it started to happen for you but um when you think about your younger self you start to think of them as like a different kid like not so much you but like a child version of you that's like your little friend or even like your kid like you start to think of your younger self as maybe your kid which is weird (laughs) (laughs) but my my mom told me that when I was a little kid and I was like having a stressful day that I would go up in my room and sing (laughs) 
and that, that she'd like yeah. be on the phone with her friends downstairs and her friends would be like, what, what is that? <laughs> what are you listening to? Like, what music is that? And she's like, no, that's Barrett upstairs. Just like singing quietly to herself, <laughs> which is like, that's. So well, cool. did you ever write music? Cause I didn't realize this, I guess, until I got, you know, older oh and I was cleaning out my old bedroom back home and I found all these journals of like little, like little me wrote a bunch of songs. Like I wasn't even a singer, but I would write music and just, yeah, I, I totally get that. Our little selves are, I mean, they're obviously variations of who we are now and yeah, it's interesting to look back on it. Yeah. Yeah. But child you is, is so different. So, so the same and so different from adult you that it, it does, it feels like a little, a different little soul that you're like protective of, I guess, when you get to be, when you get to be my age. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've ever, I've never like formally written songs. I think I've written a lot of like very angsty poetry over the course of my life, mm-hmm. which I've, I've been finding a lot of it. So I'm helping my mom clean out. I'm at my mom's house in Massachusetts and I'm, I'm helping her clean out um, this kind of like, uh, the room upstairs, it's like the cast off room for all the stuff that we don't know yeah, what to do with. The pandemic projects. And, I hear a lot of people <laughs> are doing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, that's what everybody's doing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I keep finding a bunch of my schoolwork and, um, and I keep finding like all this, like, uh, creative writing and poetry and, and very angsty <laughs> stuff. And I'm trying to keep track of it and keep it together because I'm like, this might be actually a really funny thing to like publish and just <laughs> release like a book of bad poems that I wrote as like a 10 year old. Why not? Um, so that's the closest I've ever gotten, but no, I think I'm, I think I'm a much better, um, collaborative artist mm-hmm. um I've written a couple plays and stuff like that and I'm trying to explore that a little bit more because I think I may actually uh be more equipped to write in that medium than maybe I've given myself credit for over the years um but no 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 music writing I think I'm a much uh, a much better instrument uh and a much better like music interpreter if that makes sense mm-hmm. and collaborative artist than like a than a music writer <laughs> yeah well you certainly I... got the voice um <laughs> yeah but you know did you even have so I guess you had like a musical outlet you can say growing up by doing that sure. so you were exposed to theater exposed to singing did you have like a favorite show growing up or maybe a performer <laughs> that you really idolized funny you should ask um you know I didn't there when you say performer I don't nobody really comes to mind um mostly because I I didn't really see also because I was coming I was growing up in the 90s and I think you know even though there were I mean there have always been spectacular actresses for like as long as you know there have been humans um but I think specifically in the 90s, um, you know, even like the great, great actresses of that decade, they were forced to be kind of like super sexy and shiny and very, very like thin. And and um, there was not a lot of room for um, for like neutrality in, mm-hmm. in feminine acting. 
like, I think one of the thing that I, one of the things I'm always really jealous of with men is that they, especially male actors, that they, they have a right to, um, to neutral performances. Like sure. they have a right to just act and have people focus on their acting and then have, you know, their sex appeal, what they look like, all of that kind of like come as an afterthought. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's not like a famous, I mean, give me a break, like Leonardo DiCaprio in the nineties, like, hello, like <laughs> easily one of the nineties. Leo is easily oh one of the most yeah. beautiful people <laughs> who's ever lived, but it, you know, yes, we thought he was gorgeous, but it was, it was always like, oh, what a brilliant actor and he's gorgeous. And I think mm-hmm. for, especially in the nineties for, um, for female actresses, uh, female actresses, LOL for, for actresses, it was like, oh, what a gorgeous woman. And then the, the, the talent was kind of like an afterthought. So that's a long winded way of being like, uh, no, I didn't really like resonate with too many um actresses during that time period but um the first the first show I was ever in that I really connected with I think technically the first musical I was ever in was Annie which is like every little kid's story I was just going to bring that up (laughs) because I like Annie was my I was you know I was born in the 90s and it was the time of Annie really yeah and that was yes. like my absolute favorite. It was the first like ever theater production I had been to. And it was at like a cultural, like a local cultural center. Um, nice. But then the movies as well. Like, oh my gosh, the Kathy Bates mm-hmm. version. I know. I I love that version. And I mean, Audra, like it's a great Victor Garber. So good. It's so good. And I know tons of people love the original, but I love yeah. that version. Yeah. yeah. Continue. <laughs> they're both great. And also like I love Victor Garber. Victor Garber is randomly in so many things that I love. It, that he's he's just woven into my entire childhood, but he's always kind of like a, a supporting Yeah. He's like a supporting character. He's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. He's in he's in Sweetie Todd. He was like a, he was a in Hel- villain Hello in the Dolly. First Club. Yeah. Like he was in Hello, Dolly, like, two years ago. Like an essential fiber of my childhood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Legally blonde. Uh, wait, what were, what were we talking about? I forget. Oh, Before the, the first, okay, the first show <laughs> I was, so that was, so Annie's technically the first musical I was ever in, but the first, uh, like, show that I was ever in outside of school was, like, um, because uh, the Boston Children's Opera, it was, like, it was all, like, they, they would write their own stuff, and it was it was fairy tales set to, like, the tune of, like, existing operas, which was very creative, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but there were no, that was not a, a they were not production where I could be, like, yeah, I was in, like, this musical of Cinderella, and people would know what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when I was, uh, I started going to Long Lake Camp for the Arts when I was actually young. I think I was it was like the summer before I turned 12. Um, and they were doing, um, Tommy, the who's Tommy yeah. at this kid's <laughs> summer camp. <laughs> and I, it was like, it was like such a dramatic thing. Like I showed up and it was my first year and I was 11 years old and they cast me as Tommy and Tommy. <laughs> I love that. Not even a little Tommy, like narr- like narrator slash <laughs> Tommy. Yep. 
it was great. Um, That's amazing. And and that was yeah, that was my first intro to uh, to really like you know musical theater. And I still love Tommy. I'm a huge fan, and I I fucking love The Who. Um, yeah. I I'm starting a a new. I'm like. Uh, venturing into the world of uh, TV and film, and I'm starting like a, a new job at the end of the month. And um, the characters in like a, a very early '80s um, rock band, and so I've just been doing it. It was so fun for me because I'm just doing like a really deep dive on like, awesome. okay, like what did she grow up with? If she's like 23 years old, what did she grow up with? And it's all like gorge, like '70s rock, and mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, so I get. To- <laughs> model this character probably after like Stevie Nicks and Roger Daltrey. <laughs> it's such a but, fun era, especially like rock and roll in general. That oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um but yeah, so I but I think because of that my uh my like preference for musicals is like ultra contemporary. Um mm-hmm. And I think that was just like a very chancy thing that like as a as a little kid I was like a musical <laughs> written by the Who and I was like, It's rocks like um but yeah, so that's I mean, uh that's still my preference. I still I I love the um the medium of theater and I love the mm-hmm. the genre of musical theater, but I, I like it when it encompasses you know much more rock vernacular and uh contemporary um writing yeah. no I <laughs> which mean, is few and far between those, those <laughs> shows are few and far between <laughs> there's nothing quite like your I guess first production that you see no matter oh, like, yeah. what age um oh, yeah. even like the Rockettes <laughs> like when I was little my parents you know they brought us into the city my brother and I and I don't even remember how old we were, maybe like oh, eight, yeah. and we saw the it's Rockettes, dope. like the Christmas Spectacular, and it's just things like that. New York is also so yeah. special in so many ways, but I guess let's get into that. So you made your Broadway <laughs> debut in 2011, correct? Yeah. And yes, so then everything kind of just came from there. Um, <laughs> Heather's, you originated the role of Veronica Sawyer. Um, that's an iconic role. And I know it's something that you really, you really wanted to play Veronica. Yeah. I, I mean, like much in the same way as, you know, talking about like our, our little kid selves being like little buddies, um, Mm -hmm. throughout our lives. Like Veronica is the best. Like I, I love that character so much and she feels like a friend to me. And also, I mean, that, uh, that show was 100% my, you know, first love, like human or otherwise. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the first time I'd ever, um, really met like such a, an aggressive like challenge. And then also like, uh, surprised myself, Mm -hmm. um, with being able to like, actually like, live up to my own expectations for me um that was the first time I'd ever done that and that was a just a huge moment of of growth for me as an actor of just like oh my god okay well I I don't have any excuses anymore so like because I've actually been thrown like the hardest thing I could ever could ever um be right. thrown and I'm I'm doing it so like okay um but yeah I mean 
And it's such a cult classic too. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, I mean, it's also, it's an awesome movie. Mm -hmm. Um, it was really singular, really singular. LOL. That's that's, (laughs) that's so repetitive, but it was, it was singular for its time. Um, even now when you watch it, I think the way that Dan wrote that movie, um, I mean, the language in the movie is so <laughs> funny, but it it's also like it defies genre. I mean, it's a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's a coming of age movie. Yeah. It's a love story. It's a tragic love story. It's a scary love story. Um, it's it's a story about, you know, the struggle between good and evil and the, the battle against um, nihilism. And I think um, our generation specifically, I think we struggle with nihilistic thought a lot. Um, especially like, I was just talking about this with a friend and I guess, you know, the, I guess you're technically a millennial, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I feel right like I'm like on like that weird cusp, like a couple years. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know um, what I am. <laughs> Because it's like, what is that in like astrological sense? Like, Although I feel like I'm like 60 years old, like in real mm-hmm. life, like my personality. Yeah. So it's yes. like, I don't know what I uh, am. But yeah, I guess we're, we're close enough in age where um, it's the same, same generational issue where I guess we're the first, I think that's right. We're the first generation in American history that is projected to um, do less well, do more as well, do or <laughs> do yeah. more poorly <laughs> we're projected to do that more worse than our <laughs> than our parents um yeah. like we're projected to not have as as nice or as um stable of uh lives as our parents generation which sucks <laughs> um and I think you know when you're feeling that that level of burnout for your whole life um there comes a point where you're like, you know, fuck this, like literally nothing matters. Um, and you know, and that's, that's nihilism. That's how, that's how it's born. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, Heather's is, uh, kind of so universally appealing because no matter, no matter what you're going through, I think everyone has hit that wall of like, fuck this, like nothing fucking matters. And like, you know, like, what is the point of, like, being a good person and, like, striving for good things if it's just gonna, like, you know, I don't know, fuck you, fuck you over or fuck uh-huh. you up in the end. And um, and I think the, the great message of Heather's is, like, is just to keep trying and just to keep, to keep fighting to make the world a, a beautiful place, like, as, as beautiful as we know that it can be. And, um, yeah. And that, and that is a message that is very personal to me. That is like my, that's my personal mantra is like, we gotta, we gotta keep trying. We gotta do better. Like we gotta, you know, we can do this. Like mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta keep trying. Especially you gotta sometimes right you're like fracking for the energy, to keep <laughs> trying, but you gotta do it. Um, and yeah. And I, I feel really, really lucky that, um, that, um, for better or for worse, but for, for mostly better, in my opinion, I'm, um, known for a very dark show, um, that is about 
struggling to make the world a better place and um, struggling, struggling with yourself to try to make the world a better place. Um, and it's, yeah, that's, those are the stories that appeal to me though. The, you know, fight between the fight between good and evil and the, oh, yeah. and the fight for, for beauty um, in a world where it's, cause it's really easy to ruin things. It's really easy oh, yeah. to destroy things <laughs> and it's, it's a lot harder to make something beautiful and, and to encourage other people to be beautiful. And it's sometimes it's really challenging to see the, the beauty in the, in the world and in the people around you, but like, it's, it's a worthwhile fight. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad, I'm glad that I've got the chance to be like the poster child for our show that pushes that message forward. Definitely. Well, and I feel like there's similar themes and, obviously uh the message in mean girls as well um yeah <laughs> you do you sort of have it's like let's just try and be good <laughs> we're yeah, all stuck in the same boat fuck out. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah let's um talk about that as well because you Yay. played the role of janice up until the beginning of the pandemic i guess you can say yeah right? yeah yeah so how was that? And actually, I should lead with, this is so funny. You're never going to guess who I saw this morning. I, I'm so nervous. I'm 99.9% it's her because I've seen her multiple times before. Tina. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Tina Wait, where are you? Where are you? In so this is the funniest thing. I can tell you whether or not it was her. I'm on the Upper West Side. Definitely her. Yep. And this is the funny thing. So I love her as many do, Right. Um, she's amazing. She's from Pennsylvania. Like I'm from Pennsylvania. She's the best. So I, the year Mean Girls opened up, was it that spring? I was walking through Columbus Circle. Now this is before I lived up here. I was walking through Columbus Circle and I was on the block with a friend and there was no one else. And this woman turns the corner and instantly it's like, that's Tina Fey. (laughs) And she was just all by herself, like just strutting along. (laughs) <laughs> I think yeah and I if she didn't want to say anything in a sweatshirt with a full blowout that was definitely her. <laughs> <laughs> yes so and I didn't want to say anything um because I'm just as much as you know you idolize someone like I'm just not that kind of person it's like gonna, yeah uh, and let me tell you like I don't want to speak for Tina but I'm sure she would be like thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and that's the thing I the friend that was with me was like oh my gosh, yes, we're, we're saying hello to her. And she mm-hmm. said hello, and then that's how we ended up talking. So that was the first time Aww. I saw it. And then I've seen her, because then I moved to the Upper West Side, and I've seen her multiple times, like, since. Yeah. And it's yeah. so, like, I even, I went to go see Judy last fall or whenever, whenever that came out last summer. And mm-hmm. she sat, like, two rows in front of me at the AMC up here. So it's like, <laughs> I see her so often. And I, yeah, I went to go get a coffee this morning and, um, I was walking up the block and I think she was with like her kid, her daughter, who I've seen her with before because I see her way too much in the neighborhood. So it was so funny. And then I was like, oh, and then I You must live like right on top of her. I mean, I I don't want to blow either of your covers as to like where exactly. (laughs) And the Upper West Side is a large area, like, uh, but yeah, that, I think that's commonly known that she lives up there and. Um, and she does have daughters, and they're magical little. Well, there's so kiddos. many people that live <laughs> up here. <laughs> oh but God. I just thought it was so funny because then I would I would be chatting with you later on today. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so Mean omen. Girls. <laughs> yeah, Tina Face eyes are generally a good omen. I think. Right, yeah. Even if you don't know her personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. I completely agree. But yeah, so Mean yeah. Girls. How was it just entering into that sort of franchise, if you will. It's such an iconic film. My gosh, like October yeah. 3rd is pretty much a national holiday. Um, yeah, how was it like tackling a project like that? A role like Janice too is awesome. Um, I mean, I think it's funny. I'm just going to go right back to Tina. Cause I think the best, you know, the best part of that job was, um, you know, getting to, to work with Tina and, and, uh, and also getting to know Lauren Michaels, like they're both, um, it's very, very weird that like, <laughs> cause I guess when someone's your producer, <clears throat> excuse me, when someone's producer, you know, it's like, they are your boss, but they aren't your boss. Like you're kind of all like, you know, you're downstairs like rowing and they're upstairs, like, you know, looking at the map and you're all going toward like the same, um, you know, destination on a giant ship. But, um, but technically like I think of Lord Michaels and Tina Fey as my bosses. Um, yeah. also because like, you know, Mean Girls is, it's their, their baby and it's, uh, you know, and it was Tina's first big thing. And she kind of, from, from what I understand and from my perspective, she kind of wrote it in a vacuum thinking that no one would ever see it. Um, I don't know. I'm still very much on like my, my freshman journey into film and TV, but from what I understand, when a movie is released uh, like in the spring, that's, you know, mm-hmm. typically that's like, um, that's not like a prime, a primo like release date for a movie. Right. So it came out in the spring. She didn't think people would ever see it. She didn't think people would, uh, grab onto it, but, uh, Lord Michaels has always been, I think kind of like a second father or father adjacent to Tina. And Mm -hmm. he's always really believed in her and really believed in her abilities. And he was just kind of like, of course, of course I'll produce this movie for you. Of course (laughs) we're going to release it. It's going to be great. And, you know, and it came out and then defined a generation, which like, I think my takeaway from that is like, at least like for myself is like, you know, double, double down on what you think is good, what you think is good writing, what you think is good performing, what you think is good acting, like double down on like your taste. Um, as like, you know, when you start trying to write for what you think other people will like, like that's when, you know, you're, I don't know, not brand, but that's when, you know, your, your gifts, whatever gifts you've come into the world with start to get cheapened a little bit. And, um, and I think Tina's a great example of that. Like she just, she really not only doubles down, but just like, I mean, bolts herself to the floor about what she thinks is funny and mm-hmm. what she thinks is good. And, and also what she thinks is a good way to work. Like I, I have never, ever been around anybody who works the way that Tina does um I mean not only is she really really lovely to be in a room with because Mm -hmm. she just doesn't she just she doesn't have any kind of like freak out triggers like she doesn't she's not a person who freaks out like she's just kind of like calm and collected all the time and like and always down for like a giggle um like not only is like that her 
her vibe, but she's also incredibly soft-spoken. Like, there were definitely times... Do you remember that, like, I don't know if you're, like, a big Seinfeld person, but there yeah. was an episode that they had about a low talker, where it was, like, <laughs> people were, like, what? Like, could not understand this person, and there were definitely <laughs> moments during the rehearsal process where I was, like, Tina, you can't stop being a low talker. Like, I can't understand. Like, she's so soft-spoken that I was just, obviously, not, like, the first day I was, like, what? <laughs> but truly you'd have to get so close to her face to even like hear what she was talking about um but I mean she's just a, a calming generous like um very in tune force and like and she's always open for collaboration and suggestions which is such mm-hmm. a relief because you know as an actor you do you do have to learn the difference between like being uncomfortable and knowing that something is not right, like with a scene or with a song or like, you know, there's like instincts and then there's like feeling uncomfortable and, um, and discomfort is always a good thing. Cause that usually means you're learning something, but when you have the instinct where you're like, mm, that could be better. Or I think there's a better way to do that. It's really great when you're, uh, you know, writer or the person who owns the show is like, no, if you're having like a really strong instinct about that, then we're not going to do that. Or, or then we are going to do that or, you know, whatever. And I remember there was a, I use this example all the time because it's amazing. Um, (laughs) But Gray Henson, who was, um, who's uh, my Damien, um, who is like one of the funniest people probably on planet earth. um, And is, he is like a cartoonishly uh, like, to, to the point where it's spooky, like, personification of, like, <laughs> Tina Fey's sense of humor. Like, that's, I think literally she would just, like, sit with her little hands like this, like, just waiting for <laughs> Gray to deliver these lines because he just he just has a way of landing jokes that it's really unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, he, he just, as a person, he just is funny. Everything he does is funny. Um and I think it's the combination of like his stature, like we're both very tall people, um, his stature and the fact that he's such a surprisingly graceful, beautiful dancer for someone who's like built like an NFL linebacker. Um, <laughs> and then he has like just a sweet little like cherubic face and like these giant like Muppet eyes. And there's, there's just something about the combination of the human that is gray. And then you put like his brain and his singing voice into that whole package. And he's just, he's wonderful. and so, so funny. But there was a day where uh, one of his lines in rehearsal, it wasn't, it just wasn't hitting, which is very rare for gray. Like um, his, his strength is comedic timing and, and landing jokes. Like I've, there's never I've never had a performance with Gray where like one of his jokes has bombed. Like I've never, which is crazy. <laughs> um, that's insane. Cause we, I mean, we did mean girls for two years together and there was never a performance where he like, fucked up a joke, which is, I mean, he would probably disagree, but I'm like, no, I was there. I was watching the audience every day. Right. Um, but yeah, one of the lines wasn't working and, and we were coming up on a break and she kind of like flagged him down and was like, don't, don't worry about it. And I was like, I've never seen that before. And she, when we were standing together, kind of trying to like figure out, like, he was like, why is that not working? And I was like, I don't know, but I don't, I wouldn't worry about it. Cause I think Tina's going to fix it. And she, 
she was she came over and just just with a like a clipboard I remember she had like a clipboard or like mm-hmm. a giant notebook and a pen or something and just kind of like came over and she's like I'm gonna fix it I'm gonna fix it give me like five minutes and she walked away and sure enough like five minutes later like at the at the end of like our 10 minute break or whatever she came over and she just handed gray like a whole list of um substitute jokes mm-hmm. and she was like just just stand there and read them and she kind of like looked at the ground and he like read them out loud and she just looked up and she was like which one of those do you like and he was like uh it's between like five and seven for me because she'd literally written like seven different lines <laughs> in five minutes to replace the one just that wasn't working yeah. and she was like okay let's we're going to do the scene again after the break and we'll try both ways and, the, and we'll see what gets the best result but i mean it's just insane but also that's why she's tina fey the fact that she can come up with you know seven different substitutes for a line in 10 minutes and also not be precious and not be um like have absolutely no ego involved mm-hmm. in you know the jokes not working it's like it's it's not because it's not funny it's because of the, the chemistry and because like you know theater specifically is such a collaborative art form and and I also didn't it's so funny like I I look back on you know the things that she wrote for me or the lines that she changed for me and um and there were lines that like on the paper I was like huh like I didn't really I didn't really get it and then um, but I think that was kind of part of it was like, she wrote it like a little bit above my pay grade. <laughs> they're like, I'm a smart girl, but they're, I don't pick up on every single like nuance of like comedy. Like, right. I don't think comedy is my, um, strong suit, so to speak. Like, I think, sure. I think I'm like a, an entertaining person, but I think it's more in my behavior and less in my line deliveries, <laughs> like Gray's. Gray's strong suit is line deliveries like that. Um, he can kill it in a way that um, I do not understand. But yeah, I mean, she wrote she wrote a line about um, it's like the scene when we're in the the art class about um, the Russians when Katie gets nominated for Spring Fling Queen and she's like, so I'm really nominated and my my line is or maybe it's the Russians and <laughs> like. And she just told me with that line, she was like, just don't put any sauce on it. Just like throw it out there and just like keep painting. And if you want to like throw a look to, to Damien, like that, that's the mm-hmm. joke. And I was like, okay. And then I did it. And then the, <laughs> I remember the whole room just like keeled over laughing. And I was like, oh, okay, that is funny. <laughs> like, I well, yeah, I think that's why I don't get, but she's this, that's why you just trust it's fucking Tina Fey. So you just, you just yeah, go along with it. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Well, yeah, that's yeah. why I really enjoyed. So I had seen, um, I, yeah, you were in the production when I, when I saw it, um, oh, good, way I'm back glad. before COVID. <laughs> I think it was like a year, yeah, a year ago, I guess. And, um, yeah. yeah, I think what's really great about it is before, you know, it took the stage, people we're like, oh, how are you going to recreate Mean Girls? And it's not really a recreation. I mean, it is a recreation, yeah. but it's more of a retelling. And yeah. it's the done col- They're really observing the colon between, like, Mean Girls, the musical. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. an invisible colon there, and they really, like, circled that and, like, <laughs> Yeah, because like, yeah, it is. Like, you brought up that joke, and it's made more timely. 
and um, a lot of like pop culture references. And I think that it, it was different from the original um, in, in so many ways. And it was um, a very refreshing uh, look at it. Um, from a musical standpoint, but yeah, I loved it. It was so great, and the whole I'm cast. So glad. <laughs> you're all, um, you know, going on to do amazing, amazing things. I just finished <laughs> watching Emily in Paris with uh, Ashley yeah. Park. Yeah, it oh was, my god, it was great, and um, yeah, Ashley's just... so adorable on that. I mean, yeah, and also her her laugh, like her being like, <laughs> like that actually <laughs> is is constantly like cracking jokes and like playing pranks on people and like getting scared like she is she scares so easily I've never met a person <laughs> who like you could literally like walk up behind her and be like oh. she'd be like ah! like just a full <laughs> she's so silly Sounds like but me. yeah it's a great role for her and I'm I'm so happy for her it really is like and and her getting to go to Paris and wear all those insane clothes oh. and just like yeah kind of like faff around and be herself and be so appreciated for the the joy that she brings to any you know scene like that it made me really happy for her <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely and then you said yourself you are starting a new project you're diving into film and tv which is so yeah. exciting <laughs> it's so yeah this exciting. is only my third job so I'm still like baby steps um, and I'm not, I'm not a regular on this show or anything. It's just, it's the first season of a show. So we're doing, I'm, I think I'm on five episodes and, um, yeah. And I'm not sure <laughs> I haven't like signed an NDA or anything, but I'm not sure. It's that weird moment where I'm like, am I allowed to like tell you about it? I don't know, but like, well, I'll you don't have, you don't have to tell too much, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting. Awesome. Um, I can tell you, like, the show takes place in the 80s, and so that's, like, a very fun era, and the music is great, and the clothes are going to be incredible, and um, and we're shooting on Long Island, which is just Ooh. the height of glamour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, I'll tell you, oh, my God, I keep arranging myself on the floor, because <laughs> I got, like, I got... Um, some vintage like uh, polo jeans and this is my first day wearing them and they are very tight so like <laughs> I just keep like you first know, day you get, is the like, worst yeah or like vintage clothes are you like a vintage jean person? yes 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 vintage jeans like the first day you get them it's like okay just gotta like stretch in to like all of the <laughs> parts you just gotta like make this fit because it's badass and I don't want to give them away um right. but yeah uh, yes filming on Long Island uh, it's an Ed Burns production, um, who's a cool dude, um, and he's very sweet, and, uh, and yeah, I think the, the last episode that I am on culminates with, like, a, uh, garage band concert, uh, for the neighbors in Long Island, and that's, uh, very exciting. Awesome. Um, but yeah, and I don't know what the other kiddos are up to, um. <laughs> Taylor Lauderman got married, which is so exciting. Yeah. Um, her husband's really a sweetheart, and I think they're oh, they're good great. together. Um, I think Erica and Kyle are just chilling right now. I know they got a dog, um, which like is Erica's number one dream. Like that's <laughs> all she's ever wanted is a dog. Um, 
And yeah, and I just talked to Gray the other day because I was like, Gray, help me. I fucked up my unemployment. What do I do? And he's like, Oh no, baby. Like, why didn't you talk to me before you filed? I was like, Because I panicked. Help me. Um, so Gray helped me figure out my unemployment. Um, but uh, as like, I think everyone in the United States is trying to figure out their unemployment as well. Well, that's the um, thing. So, how are. <laughs> how are you dealing with everything that happened with the pandemic since March? I mean, you were literally yeah. performing up until this happens. Broadway is now shut down through what May yeah. 30th of 2021, which is yes. going to be a hit like for sure. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a hit, but I, I am a big, I'm, apparently people call this like zooming out, which I'm like, really want to call it zooming out but apparently like I I call it I I am fairly good at keeping things in perspective and looking at the bigger picture um but the cool thing about uh the way things worked out for for me so me and Gray and Kate Mm -hmm. Rockwell another gem of gems um we were all on the same uh because we signed up for an additional year and so um so we we had two um back-to-back year contracts so we went um we went march march 8th to march 8th to march 8th (laughs) uh so my me kate and gray our last show was march 8th and um so we were all like wrapped up moved out of our dressing rooms we'd finished our contracts and then a week and a half later uh broadway shut down Mm -hmm. so i feel actually incredibly lucky that I did not have to like receive a phone call that, um, that I would no longer, you know, be able to, um, do my job. Uh, I'm very, very lucky that Mm -hmm. my, my chapter at Mean Girls wrapped up officially, uh, you know, a week before everything closed. Um, but I am, uh, very heartbroken for <laughs> my replacement um, mm-hmm. because she was amazing and she's my understudy and I was so excited for her and she did she did get to you know she did get to go on a lot like while I was at the show I'm I am very <laughs> for better or for worse I'm very easy on myself when it comes to um, calling out of shows because you're you really especially for musical theater you're you're only given one voice in your lifetime and I really try to be careful with mine and not push it too far and mm-hmm. I also had to I had to be out on medical leave during my second year at Mean Girls because I started having neck problems and jaw problems and like I was getting locked jaw on stage and all this all this crazy stuff that just comes with um performing the same role for too long and and same thing with Gray I mean Gray is also a dancer so he has his own set of literally permanent injuries and I think um, but yeah, I mean, I call out whenever I need to. Um, and so Olivia did get to go, she did get to go on a lot, which was great and, uh, and make her debut as Janice, which was like, it's like the best role you could ever debut with. Um, mm-hmm. it's like just enough where you get to like have your time to shine and wear amazing clothes and get a great wig and great makeup and like, but you still get like 20 minutes in the middle of back two <laughs> where you get to like go upstairs and eat dinner. <laughs> oh. But, uh, yeah, but I am, I'm heartbroken for them. And also, you know, uh, Sabrina Carpenter was, 
Mm -hmm. um, Katie replacement, which is so cool. And she has such a great voice and she's such a sweetheart. And, um, and I was heartbroken for her that she really only got to do it for about a week. Um, cause I don't know if the show is going to be able to get her back. She's such a busy bee. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sucks, but at the same time, um, I think I'm like, what's the, what's the, the way that I mean this to sound, um, the, the Broadway community is very separate from the entertainment community. Mm-hmm um, at large. And, um, I don't think that that is a good thing. Um, I, I think we need to integrate ourselves more. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do personally for my career. Cause I have mm-hmm. a huge interest in acting across all mediums, but, sure. um, we need to be more integrated into entertainment at large. We need to learn from what works about um, the entertainment community and what doesn't. And I think what is counterintuitive, at least like, you know, from a business standpoint, like Mm -hmm. from a nuts and bolts business standpoint, it's like, this is not an accessible art form to everyone. And it didn't always used to be like that. Like I, when I was growing up, yes, like I'm, I'm from Massachusetts, so it's pretty close to New York city. Yes, it was a treat to get on a train and stay in a hotel and go see a Broadway show, but Mm -hmm. it was not, it did not cost what it costs now. No. um, To see a show. Um, And that, I mean, that really, that hurts my heart. and, um, And I think we have to figure out how to make this art form accessible to people. Mm-hmm. And I, and I also think we're pricing ourselves out of literally any market by putting, you know, ticket prices should not be starting at like, I mean, for some shows, the tickets start at like $200. That's right. not accessible That's... to anybody. <laughs> I mean that you cannot ask people to be spending like over half their paycheck mm-hmm. to go, see a show when they can also go to a concert. Like my friends went to go see Casey Musgraves for like 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that <laughs> ticket should be say, 40 bucks. Yeah. Casey Musgraves is awesome. And she wants everybody to be able to come and see her shows. That's uh-huh. the point. Um, you can't, people are going to go see, you know, different forms of entertainment if they're continuing to be priced out. And so I'm just, I'm really hopeful that, um, that, you know, the powers that be in our industry take time to frankly get their heads out of their butts and, you know, adapt for the times and also like, you know, start putting more musicals on streaming platforms. Like the, Mm -hmm. the Hamilton, you know, live recording is amazing. And it's enabled so many people to see the original cast of that show for $6. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, it only enhances the, the industry for, for everyone. It's, it's only a good thing that, that Broadway and, and theater is accessible mm-hmm. to everyone. And, and also, you know, when you go back to like the origins of, 
of theater. It's really about telling stories and it's really about telling stories to everyone. I mean, it was, it was a thing that the tiniest communities back at like the dawn of time were doing. They'd sit around a fire and tell each other stories and like, it's not supposed to be an elitist art form. Well, it's I think not at supposed the be- to be for only rich people. It's supposed to be exactly. for everybody. Yeah, I think at the beginning of quarantine even, and I wish they would have continued it a little bit, but they, on YouTube, I forget who, but they were originally allowing um, YouTube to put up full, I think it was each week they were putting on like, I think Phantom of the Opera and um, yeah, they do Cats even, they would put yeah. uh, the live, you know, tapings of the musicals and, and performances wow. on YouTube that you could watch despite everything being shut down. You can still like incorporate theater into your life during the pandemic, which was great. And I wish that yeah. it was being done before sh- this happened. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't see a downside to it. And I think a lot of short-sighted producers are like, well, if they can see it, you know, for $6 and they're not going to come and like spend, you know, over a hundred dollars to, to get a ticket to a Broadway show. And I'm like, no, 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 that's where you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like people, if you make this accessible to everyone, then people are actually going to want to, I mean, people are going to be sitting in their house being like, wow, I wonder how much more special this would be in person. You know, like it's the same thing where like when you watch like a really great movie on Netflix or you watch an amazing movie on, you know, Amazon or whatever, all these streaming platforms. I always have the thought like I watched Midsommar lately and I was like, man, Mm -hmm. this would have been an amazing experience in a movie theater with like a hundred other people. This this would be crazy. Also, because like with that specific like type of movie, people are like, oh, that like (laughs) screaming usually. Especially in New York. There's nothing like going to see uh, a movie in New York City. People There's are very not. verbal. Oh, yeah. Um, well, even, you know, I think in terms of the film industry, that's why I feel like a lot of people were applauding Christopher Nolan for pushing and pushing and pushing for Tenet to come out in theaters. Yeah. Um, because it... And it's hard now, again, with the pandemic and the virus and not everybody wants to go to a theater at the moment. I get that. Um, I haven't been to a theater (laughs) since before the pandemic. But yeah, as me too, like someone who loves going to the movies, I totally get, you know, wanting to sort of preserve that experience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. It, it's yeah, it's it's a it's an this is an uncharted time, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like I'm more of the mindset where it's like you know release it both ways, release it in a theater, release it on streaming. Sure, at least yeah. like you know if you if you make it as accessible as possible, people are people are going to involve themselves, and mm-hmm. I think certain people are of the opposite mindset where it's like no, that's not how it works, and I just think you know we should look to history for to see what is successful and what is not. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't know, but people talk about like the, the, the real golden age of theater was in the seventies where you, everybody was able to see everything and it was really accessible and people, you know, especially New Yorkers were, mm-hmm. you know, they were like, yeah, Broadway theater. And it was, it was such a, a relevant thing for anybody living in New York city. Everybody was able to go and see Broadway shows and, and the people who had the means got the really expensive tickets that were at 
the front of the theater and the people who were on more of a budget would get the cheap seats. And that's, you know, and even when I was still in college or I was still in high school, that was still a thing. I'd be with all the other kids in the back of the theater Mm -hmm. or I'd be with all the other kids in the balcony. Like that's, that's how it works. Yeah. But, but it's accessible and you're, and you're there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know, I don't know. T- the app Today Chicks got me, because I went to college in New York, and the app Today, Today Chicks, Chicks got me through so college, because I yeah. love theater, I love going to Broadway shows, and luckily they were able to provide the affordability, accessibility I needed, it was yeah. perfect. And they they have made it so easy. Today Chicks, mm-hmm. awesome, shameless plugs for yeah. Today Chicks. <laughs> if, you're going, if you're going to New York City and you don't know what you want to see, whenever, yeah. obviously when everything opens up again. Right. Just get get that app, and it's mm-hmm. it's so great. And it's, the concierge thing's amazing, too, where you don't have to go stand oh, in line at the box perfect. office. There's a little person in a T-shirt with your tickets yep. who gives you your tickets. They have great customer service. Like, it's great. It's a wonderful, I wonderful. haven't had a bad experience. You know, I've yeah. used it quite a bit. But, yeah, I guess to um, end on a positive note with that, I really do think that, I don't know. You look at the newspapers and the headlines and it looks all depressing when it comes to cinema and Broadway. And I get it. It's it's very unfortunate and these communities have been hit so hard. But I at least me trying to be an optimist. I think that when all this is over, everybody's going to want to go see a show. People are going to yes. want to go to a movie theater. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, I think we can base it off ourselves, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know I do. Yeah. I know I want to, when I am able to feel safe, I, one of my first stops is going to be going to see a Broadway show. I don't care what it is. I'll, I'll right. be there. But also, you know, and going to a movie theater, I think we have, that's very real. And mm-hmm. I, But I also think, like, it's so important to use this time to, like, adjust, mm-hmm. to, like, to readjust our expectations to readjust like our priorities to especially like you know art wise to diversify to make sure that you know as I mean to professional artists Mm -hmm. to make sure that you you have been developing your interests and using this time to develop the skill sets to go along with those interests so that you can have a more diverse career Mm -hmm. but also like for, I mean, I just, I hope that, you know, the Broadway community has been like, okay, so, you know, in this, while we're in this holding pattern, what are we doing to ensure the longevity of this art form? Like, right. what yeah. are, what are we doing to include as many people as possible? What are we doing to make this better? What are we doing to better ourselves? Yeah. But, I know. think work on, you know, like you said, it's a good time to work on accessibility, inclusivity, and affordability. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll leave it with that. And I I hope that, yeah, people just take this time to hone in on that and figure out how can we make it better? Because there's always room for improvement with everything. Always, Uh always, (laughs) always room for improvement. And also, you know, things always come back along. They always come back around and they always, you know, there's an ebb and a flow to everything. And, um, and especially with theater, I know people are very worried right now, but I'm not, I'm not worried. Um, that's good to hear I I like the optimism I really do well Well, what else do we have if we're not optimists what else do we have I know (laughs) but Barrett this has been so fun before you go um with this being handling it I like to ask what's a piece (laughs) of advice that's helped you handle your life whether it's just life in general your career um I think 
uh, I mean, specifically with being an actor, there's there's a lot of quote unquote rejection. Um, but I just I think of it as redirection. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you base your whole life around the yeses that you get, and if you count how many nos you get, um, you're gonna inevitably be focused on the wrong thing. Um, but if you can just alter your mindset, um, that every, every no you get is just, um, it's kind of like a, a spiritual GPS where it's just kind of (laughs) trying to get you back on, on track. Um, and it's trying to, uh, to nudge you in the right direction and to close, close a door that wasn't the right path for you anyway. And I've, I've always found that to be true. And mm-hmm. even things that very early in my career just broke my heart when I didn't get them. Now I, I don't really remember what they are, first of all. And second of all, I mean, only really a handful of people have said yes to me in my life. And that has enabled me to have an entire career. Um, you don't need that many yeses to build a career and you definitely don't need that many yeses to build a happy life, whether it be like business relationships or romantic relationships or family relationships, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't need, you don't need to be (laughs) everyone's favorite person or everyone's favorite artist. You just need to be able to get behind yourself and feel like you have value and that every no is routing you back to the right path. (laughs) Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. (laughs) Well, and then where can people find you? You're on social media. I'm around. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I listen, I haven't, I haven't successfully been peer pressured into TikTok yet, but me either. (laughs) it might happen. I don't know. I just can't have one more app on my phone or I'll never get off it, but I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm at ferret weed. I used to have a Twitter, but (laughs) it it died yeah (laughs) um truly like someone hacked into my twitter deleted it and actually actually changed the name so it it really did die oh my gosh that's awful but listen it's just another redirect i was like all right you know what (laughs) that's fine i'm gonna take that note from the universe and just stick just stick with instagram (laughs) one less account to worry about yeah I know. I so I haven't gotten TikTok solely because I know it's going to consume so much more of my time and energy, <laughs> and I don't yes. think I can handle all of it right now. But I, I don't think so either. It's it's too much. But listen, never say never. We might get on it eventually. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad people got to hear your story, chat about these roles. <laughs> it was great. Thanks for having me. This is your excellent interviewer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. I hope you all loved hearing from Barrett and learning about her background and history with acting and performing. I am personally such a fan of Broadway and Mean Girls was one of my favorite shows that came out over the past few years. So it was so much fun having Barrett on and hearing all about her experiences playing Janice. The Broadway community has been severely impacted by the current pandemic. With productions shut down until the summer of 2021, so many are left out of work and having to adjust their careers. 
So I've listed some resources in the episode description on organizations that are working to help those in the theater industry that have been affected. So be sure to check that out. And thank you to Barrett so much for coming on and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.